Oh, that's it? Mm-hmm. No more talking about my four cats? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well then, welcome to the V-Spot, a vegan podcast most of the time. Sometimes it's not. We go in a totally different direction. I'm Danny, and that's the pregnant pause where Kat would be, but she's not. The reason being that we sometimes technology bites us in the butt, right? And things become a little bit challenging, and we have this fabulous surprise for you all in T-minus 45 seconds, don't quote me on that, when I'm done babbling solo into a microphone. Um, A really great interview for you all, and it was the first one that we've done remotely, and first time of things sometimes presents challenges, and this was definitely one of those cases. Uh, But we did not want to not let you guys listen to it, because it is absolutely amazing. We are absolutely head over heels in love with our guest, so you need to be exposed to them as well. Um, But producers, note, disclaimer, if you notice anything oddball in the audio at all, we apologize in advance. Um, My fiancé, still getting used to that, my fiancé worked very, 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 very many scary hours and has terrifying bloodshot eyes and is not making eye contact with me. But if he were, he'd probably look angry um, just because, yeah, there it is, because he's worked a lot on this. And because he's a perfectionist, it is um, really difficult for him to overcome the fact that this might not be 810% perfect. But I think it's perfect. And really, it's the content that matters. And you guys will definitely agree because it's a fabulous interview. And my cat is just so adorable. He's just, look at Fitz. He's just sitting there looking at you so lovingly. It's really nice. Um, But on that note, I will release you all from having to listen to just me. And I really have never, I don't think I felt this lonely, actually, as I do right now. Andy's even in Cat's seat, which is awkward and she's probably gonna murder him for that but without further ado here is our interview with Allison Argo and if you haven't heard of her that's a mistake but um this is a really good place to start because you're going to get to know her as a person and her story and her work most recently known for The Last Pig which you probably again and if you haven't shame on you listened to our review of The Last Pig So here's our little chat with her. I don't know how to start this. Allison, tell us about your past life. Tell us everything about you, actually, because you're amazing. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) So how many, wait, how many days do we have for this podcast? Uh, As as many as it takes. takes. Um, I'll give you a very condensed version. So um, I was uh, raised on Cape Cod which is quite unusual. A lot of people go to the Cape, but not many people Mm. are spawned there. And my parents had a little summer stock theater. And so I was, I was raised performing basically and, and building sets and, oh gosh, everything, putting sets up, taking sets down, rehearsing, performing. We lived sort of communally because the, the little, you know, the company, the resident company would come every summer. And, um, it was really a very colorful and unstable <laughs> way to grow up. 
and I'm sure it's all left, you know, been imprinted on who I am today. But um, I do, I like to say that I was sort of weaned on Tennessee Williams and Ibsen and, um, you know, watching plays from the balcony. And I think that's, that sort of got into my blood. And I, I went ahead and sort of went into the family business or what was most familiar to me and uh, moved to New York City with like $100 in my back pocket and slept on somebody's floor for a while and walked dogs, waited tables, um, did off, 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 off Broadway. And then finally, um, you know, finally caught my big break and had my first, I was on Broadway. I did three plays on Broadway. And then um, what plays did you do? You can't skip over that. <laughs> do you really want to know? Okay. Yeah, um, I absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I did, believe it or not, I did Grease. And then I did um, a wonderful play, an Ibsen play called Lady from the Sea, which is a very mm-hmm. uh, obscure play. But I played Vanessa Redgrave's stepdaughter, and Tony Richardson was the director. Oh and it was really an extraordinary oh, wow. experience. It was fantastic. And then I did Night of the Iguana. And Richard Chamberlain was uh, played Larry, and uh, uh, it was really a fun experience too. Wow, that's really and, cool. Yeah, and I did a soap opera for a year and lots of commercials and that sort of thing. And then the next obvious step was to move to LA, and I did that. And so I moved to LA and started doing movies of the week and uh, pilots, television pilots, and that sort of thing. And um, even though I was doing very well, I became sort of more and more disenchanted with acting because I ended up spending a lot of time in, you know, my dressing room or the motor home or in makeup or, and I felt very disconnected from the creative experience because they, you know, it was always like, okay, get the talent off the set. And um, so there was something missing for me. And also there was that camaraderie that I had growing up in summer stock theater. So I really missed all of that. But at the same time, um, my then husband and I started watching anything and reading anything we could get our hands on about um, gorillas. And we were mm. really, really interested and concerned about gorillas in the wild. Diane Fossey was still alive and sending her research back from the wild. And uh, we, were, we, we traveled a lot, and so we'd go to zoos at, just to see how the gorillas were being treated there and, or not being treated um, and we were really kind of shocked by the lack of care that they were receiving, despite the fact that we were really learning so much about what they needed um, mm-hmm. as as very social beings. And sort of the, the pinnacle of that was, or actually the low point, the lowest point, was when we went to Tacoma, Washington, and went to this, we'd heard that there was a gorilla living in this little tacky shopping mall. And sure enough, there was a full-grown silverback silverback gorilla named Ivan and he'd been there for almost 30 years hadn't seen another gorilla and yeah he was basically in like a concrete uh box and he also had a trailer as an attraction like like yeah well yes absolutely he was sort of tucked behind the sporting goods and um what the hell and I know (laughs) it was and it was so shocking that in that day and age after we had learned so much about what gorillas need and how social they are that he would have been in this situation Mm -hmm. that it would be perfectly legal and acceptable and um so i realized that i had to speak out and 
didn't know the first thing about making a film, making a documentary, but I just, I leapt behind the camera because I felt that this, this was a story, not just his, but other, other gorillas living in captivity. They were stories that needed to be told and brought to the public, you know, attention. And so Bob, my then husband and I started shooting a documentary and I had no idea what I was doing directing, but you know, I sort of followed my instincts and found some amazing stories and we shot them and then I edited them and and that became my first film. And I didn't know, you know, there was no funding and I didn't know where I would get the how I would distribute the film. But fortunately word traveled to National Geographic and they asked to see the film. Wow. And I had a I had a rough cut and I showed it to them and they loved it and basically that's what started me in documentaries. And I think the fact that I didn't know how you're, how uh, the sort of status quo of making a documentary at that time, I, I sort of set out and told the story in my own way and, and very much personalized the gorillas because they are absolute individuals with very distinct personalities and looks and histories. And, um, and so presenting it that way was novel at the time. And the film won a lot of awards and National Geographic said, what else do you have? So that was sort of, you know, the dream come true yeah. launching of a career. But the most exciting thing is that there were people who were upset about Ivan and there was sort of starting to be the gurglings of a movement. And the film just really fired that movement, you know, added fuel to that fire. And within months, I think it, the the um, store had gone bankrupt. I mean, it wow. probably was already on some shaky financial ground, but people picketed and Ivan ended up ultimately being sent to a zoo where, a very progressive zoo where he was able to join other gorillas and, you know, he wasn't returned to Africa. But, um, but you know, interestingly enough, after 30 years of living with humans, he really was not that interested in gorillas and preferred the company of his, of his caretakers. Oh, wow. But, yeah. But that, of course, just made me want to continue making documentary films and speaking out for non-human beings because they don't have a voice in our legal or really in, in our you know, social arena. And so that's been really my life's passion ever since jumping in, um, behind the camera. Um, I have a question with that. So I <laughs> yeah. love that Ivan has you know that special place in your heart and that he's kind of your gateway animal if you will um yeah. he's your gateway person because i know someone ali has um esther yeah, was, yeah. the wonder pig was her gateway yeah um oh. so everyone has like at least an animal if not an individual that they can name now at that time were you vegan as well or were you just um like for the animals speaking for the animals and then became vegan after the the latter, but I became vegetarian, pretty much vegetarian. Oh, I'm going to say, well, certainly well before I met Ivan. So I was a vegetarian, um, certainly, uh, I don't want, you know, it, it, it was a continuum for me, mm -hmm. as it is for so many people, mm -hmm. but um, I had not, 
I didn't even know vegans. I don't even <laughs> know that I had ever heard that word because we are talking 30 years ago. Sure, right. Although I do hear that there, there are vegans who have been practicing for, you know, 40 years. But no, I was totally oblivious. Uh, you know, quite honestly, I find this shocking, but it's the truth. It wasn't until I was working on shooting The Last Pig that I really, my eyes just fully opened to the plight of um, uh, chickens, hens, chicks, and the egg industry, and also the dairy industry. That's when I, I became, I'd long been, um, I'd long, long been vegetarian, but that's when I, I became a vegan. And it was so easy. It, it was so simple. But I just, I don't know how I didn't have the information, but I, I didn't. So maybe many it was, of us didn't. Yeah, I think we all feel that way. And I feel, I almost feel, I was telling Andy not too long ago, I feel almost betrayed by that because I'm like, why did nobody <laughs> yeah. ever tell me, like, at least present this information and let me make a decision? Mm-hmm. So I feel angry, too. I feel, you know what, I, what really makes me angry is the food pyramid. Oh, my gosh, I know. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have a real problem that I was raised with the bloody food pyramid and that we were taught that the only source of protein was meat. And if, if you had an iron deficiency, the doctor said, you need to, you need to eat liver. Can you oh, imagine? Gross. And, <laughs> and it's so untrue. Nobody ever said that a potato has protein or that broccoli has protein. I feel so coerced and mm-hmm. deceived. Um, and I feel that a lot of it was, you know, people making money oh. and not wanting to change the status quo. Oh, it, for sure. Because it is. And oh, it's sure. with the food pyramid. Now I have to tell you a story that happened after mm. my second viewing of The Last Pig because I felt so strongly about it that I think maybe two weeks later, maybe three, after um, we were with you at Hudson Valley, I went and saw it again. And there was another mm. discussion afterwards, and there was um, a... Oh, so you went to Honest I did, yes. Oh, yeah. wonderful. And cool. there was a huge discussion afterwards, which lasted, again, like another two hours, um, which I think was my favorite part, was listening to everyone after. Yeah. But one of the people was yeah. a high school sophomore, and she Ooh. had to do a biology lab. She's a vegan and speaks for the animals and is, you know, very... Um, forthcoming with that towards teachers, the, you know, the lunch people, all of that. Um, a biology lab and they said they asked where do you cows get their protein and where do humans get their protein and the, she answered well from plants for both and the teacher marked it wrong and when she went and you know spoke to the teacher the teacher refused to change it because cows get their protein from plants and humans get it from cows so oh wow it is still did she take it up the so-called food chain and i believe she and, did and... yes <laughs> yep. Um, so it's still being uh, fed to us, if you will. Oh, that's really, yep. that's aggravating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have very, yeah. very distinct memories as a child of learning the food pyramid and learning you had to drink your milk. And, mm-hmm. Strong and bones. Strong bones. Yeah. You had to drink your milk and you had to, mm-hmm. you know, eat whatever meat you were eating for dinner to get your protein. And like, those are the things you had to eat to be healthy. You mm-hmm. had to have something from each category, right? I, I can Absolutely. distinctly remember sitting in, I don't know, maybe third grade and coloring a food pyramid and learning about all that. Yeah. And you're not that old. I mean, that was not that no, long ago. No. no, certainly not. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Um, yeah, it was a myth that we were that we were fed. Literally, mm-hmm. that's why I 
I I love when Bob Comis, the farmer in The Last Pig, you know, talks about, um, and the way in which he talks about pigs versus dogs and how we have just been programmed. We've never been uh, allowed. We aren't allowed as children to question or to ask or to say, I mean, you've seen, I love the videos on online where somebody's child learns oh, that no. what they've been eating is actually a chicken and they flip mm-hmm. out. It's like, you make me eat yes. this? Yeah. And they cry and say, I don't want to eat this anymore. But these children, you know, we weren't, and the, and many children are not allowed to know what it is mm-hmm. they're eating and be given some sort of choice. I'm really, really... Um, determined to get the film in some form, The Last Pig, in some form into the yes. school system. But I mean, for mm-hmm. for younger, it's, I think it's perfectly appropriate, certainly oh, for, for high sure. school students, and I think for junior high. Yeah. But I um, I want to do like a 30-minute, 25 or 30-minute version wow. that obviously we wouldn't go into the slaughterhouse, but but still, that could be discussed later. Where do you think those pigs go? Mm-hmm. went? And, you know, have a whole teacher's guide. And I'm also starting to write a children's book. Oh, this is why wow. I shouldn't be sharing this publicly. But, um, <laughs> because it's my little secret project. But, um, Insider scoop. There's a, yes. There's, there's a, a pig that I fell in love with that, that was on Bob's farm. And you heard us talk about, mm-hmm. about her at, during, the, um, during the Q&A. Mm-hmm. And, at the at the screening and you what attended. did you name and, her and i named her niblet because she was she's a nibbler and she <laughs> she, she has a foot fetish well actually in the book right now i'm saying my name is niblet um i it's because i you know i i like to taste things but sometimes my teeth get <laughs> that's so. a perfect description <laughs> <It> actually <is>. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's Niblet's story from her point of view, and you know I'm I'm just trying to find ways um, to bring this issue and to introduce it without the horrors of the slaughterhouse right in their faces, but to bring it to a very young audience and let them consider what it is they're eating. And you know I I would hope that the parents would give them a choice. Yeah, I I feel like so much of it is in handling parents as well because mm-hmm. I also can remember <laughs> yes. I think Danny and I have talked about this I can remember being pretty young and understanding that what I was eating was animals and knowing knowing that that was wrong that even though animals were being killed for food wow. that, that that still wasn't okay um, but and I can remember trying to stop eating meat very very young and and when you're 10 11 12 how do you really do that mm-hmm. when your parents are who's cooking your meals and you also are so young that you you know, not every 10, 11, 12 year old feels the same convictions as you do when you're older to really, you know, Stand demand this from your parents. Right. So I, I think so much right. of it is also communicating with the parents and making sure that they're honoring their child's wish and, and really giving them that independence, no matter how old they are. You know. You're absolutely right. It's very important to get get to the parents, too. And, you know, thank goodness it's finally um, becoming an issue that's being discussed. I feel like it was almost mm. closeted. And, you know, that vegan, if you said vegan, you immediately, they assumed you had, you know, five <laughs> heads. And and finally, it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. And I think 
you know, some of that is that, thank God for the oh, celebrities no. that are very out front about being vegan and they don't have five heads mm -hmm. and we admire them and they're pretty or they're strong, mm -hmm. they're athletes. And, and so we're debunking these myths and allowing parents as well to realize, oh, my kid's not going to grow up um, sick, right. sickly or Right, 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 right. Or the idea, or maybe it, they will be freaks, but not because they're vegan. Right, like for right, other reasons. Right. Right. right, or the idea as a parent, exactly. if your kid is, you know, saying that they don't want to eat meat anymore, they don't want to eat dairy. I can see as a parent that that might be intimidating because now you're like, well, what do I feed you, and how do I make mm -hmm. sure that you're getting the right nutrients? I feel like that information is also a lot more readily available, and it's not so. Yes intimidating to cook things vegan, to find things vegan, to be able to go out as a family if you're not all eating a certain way and still be able to all feel accommodated. Yes, you're right. That food is, is now starting mm -hmm. to be available. And even, you know, <laughs> non-chicken yeah. nuggets, you know, things like that. It's so, I'm, I'm personally, I would rather just eat fresh sure. vegetables and legumes and things. But, you know, that, that fast food is really important to a lot of yeah, a lot of convenience. people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Convenience and also they're just so yes. used to the taste and the texture. and It's like and a comfort. It's yeah, amazing. it's almost, it is. I, I think, in some ways a cultural thing too mm -hmm. because it, it has so much to do with how you're raised and what you remember from childhood because that's what I, I remember a lot of is is Happy Meals, right? And right. being a kid and you get a Happy Meal After and it comes school, with a toy. After school, you stop and, by and grab a meal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there's so much of that link yeah. to the way you were raised as well. And then you, you get into the whole questioning the way that you were raised and that doesn't feel great. So being able to have these these alternatives so you can still have those same experiences and give your children those same experiences is, I think, really, it, it eases the transition, I think. Yeah. But even even I um, have had to just totally relearn, especially when I, I gave up, you know, cheese mm -hmm. and so dairy and egg. I just, I had to, I had to learn how to cook and how to plan meals that are sure are different and because I didn't have that far to leap it wasn't that that difficult but I have had to retrain myself yeah. which has been great because it's made me so much more uh, aware of of Absolutely. everything of of how things are grown and what they have in them and um, how to balance them and and it's really you become much more yeah, mindful absolutely and it's a good thing to be more mindful Absolutely. in every way, how you treat others, how you treat other humans, mm -hmm. non-humans, uh, the person driving next to you. I'm <laughs> so the traffic, aware of that. You know? Can I just say? <laughs> I think I've yeah. become so aware of that because when I'm in a car with somebody else who's yelling at somebody for doing something, I'm like, oh, calm down. They don't mean anything. But then I catch myself doing mm -hmm. it. You know, <laughs> that awareness yes. is so key. <laughs> It's so true. I mean, um, we can improve ourselves in so many ways. I, I like to say, I mean, I realized, again, during the making of this film that, you know, every other minute you're making some sort of decision mm -hmm. and uh, you can make a, a decision that's going to be kinder and more positive or you can make a decision that's a little careless or, you know, we can really um, be a lot more a lot Absolutely. more kind and compassionate in every every yeah. aspect of our lives how yeah. we treat our partners you know are we do we ask them how their day was at the end of the day 
how do we, do we really listen to our children? Do we listen to the neighbor next door who kind of annoys you, but you know she's lonely? And, you know, it's all those things every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It, it is. It's, it's cool. It's powerful, too. It's a lot of, <laughs> because, a lot of responsibility in a lot of ways, I think, too, to have that kind of power. But also the easiest, sometimes the easiest yeah. things. Just know. to say, hi, how are you doing, and mean it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Oh, um, it's so true. It's really interesting because Bob, I'll just share a little story that um, Bob, in one of his essays that he wrote, this is one of my favorite little passages. He talks about, you know, here, I just, I just took a, a, you know, trailer full of pigs to the slaughterhouse um, and I came back and there's a, a spider drowning in a bucket of water and I carefully take a piece of straw so that the spider can climb out of the bucket. And I just love that he, mm-hmm. his awakening, his gradual awareness of the um, duplicity, the um, sure. the contradictions yeah. in his life, uh, you know, and, and we can all, all the stumble time. upon <laughs> these. <laughs> all the time. Yes. On yes, an hourly absolutely. basis. Yeah. Um, let's, how was it for you guys oh, to meet him? Was, <laughs> it's, we just was um, it Donna we were just yeah. standing there and and we see Donna a lot because she's you know very active in the animal rights and vegan community Locally, in the area yeah. mm-hmm. and she was just like you know like you know took like hey come here like and so you know kind of out of it and turned around and I was like oh that's <laughs> that's Bob and I was like I don't know what to say and this was before seeing the film yeah afterwards I Afterwards, yeah. I oh gave him God. a huge hug. I was like, "I just, I hope you're a hugger because I need, <laughs> I need to reach out to you. He, um, he is. I need it. You need it. He's a hu- he's a hugger. He's a hugger yeah. if it's a real hug. Yes, we've it, talked about this. He's not into those little, things. you know, no, air hugs. It was. I just didn't know yeah. what to say. I, I you know, I, I thanked him. I told him I thought he was brave. I just, I had so many, and he was just so yeah. nice. Just so humble. And it nice. was yes. just, I think, oh. such an experience for us mm-hmm. um, because Danny and I have both been involved at the Catskill Animal Sanctuary for, for a very long time now. And we've heard his story countless times. Um, we both have given tours there. So we've told his story countless times. And it it truly, yeah. the years I've been hearing and telling it, it just doesn't even do it justice. It doesn't even compared. begin to touch what we experienced mm. in that in that film, and so it was an honor, I think, and just a very. I think we're both very grateful yeah. that we got to see the film in general, but also that Bob was there, that you were there, that we had the opportunity to really hear the backstory yeah. and to really hear some personal anecdotes and have that kind of more personal experience in general. And one of our favorite things, or at least one of he, my favorite yeah. things, um, and hearing you ask us what it was like to meet Bob is. I loved watching you with Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I like I want to know how you like came across him and how you decided to make the the film <laughs> itself but also like how was it just through the film you guys became so close because there were several times that mm. like he would start getting upset and you would just kind of like reach a hand out and be like it's okay and there was, just was such a respect oh, and it was very oh. obvious to us that mm, there was a, a yeah. very mutual respect and just a, a lot of compassion between the two of you and I, I don't know mm. anything about the f- making documentaries or the film industry right. but I would imagine that that's rare <laughs> oh, <laughs> that right. uh, yeah this was of- yeah the- this was incredibly special and incredibly rare, and and I tell love us everything. Bob how did you come across have... him? How did the whole? How did it all happen? <laughs> uh, I, I also I well, want to say very quickly I, that it yeah. is also a great feat to uh, 
to have Danny and I as quiet as we have been yes, today. That's true. I'm just like, talk to me. <laughs> yes. Tell me more. I want to yeah. know everything. We're never this silent. I'm Mm-mm. just like, I just need to know it all. That's, that's very true. That is very, very true. We're like leaning into the mic as though you're sitting like right here and we're just listening. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I am. I know. I feel like we're in the same room. It's really nice. So, um, I, actually, I have to give a shout out, or I like to call it a snout out, so to um, <laughs> a, a, a person who became a friend. Um, I've won my film, my past films have won a number of Genesis Awards from the Humane Society. And this wonderful woman was always the presenter. She, um, they don't have these big fancy award ceremonies anymore, although The Last Pig did win a Genesis Award recently. Sometimes I call them the generous awards. But anyway, she, um, her name's Heather Chase, and she's a, a model, and she also developed vegan a vegan mm-hmm. line of cosmetics very early on. And um, she, so we've kept in touch, and she, one day she sent me an email with a link in it and said, I'm, I'm wondering, have you, have you read any of this guy's, this farmer's material? And I'm wondering if it would make a good film. And I thought, oh. Usually people who are not filmmakers do not have a great, you know, concept of what a good film would be. But I, you know, obviously clicked on the link. And within minutes, I was in tears just because his, I read his um, blog or his essay called Happy Pigs Make Happy Meat with a question mark at the end. And he was so willing to expose himself and his personal struggle and his imperfections and you know, willing to leave questions unanswered. And I I just felt his struggle was extraordinary. And he clearly was thinking of changing the course of his life. And so I finally, you know, I wrote her back and said, yes, I think so. I'd love to contact him. And I was really scared to contact him because I don't know. I felt it would be yeah. an invasion. I'm, I'm a little, believe it or not, I'm a little shy when I make a cold call or something. And But she encouraged me, and finally I got up the nerve to send him an email. And I was sure that somebody else was telling his story. And, um, and he agreed to talk with me on the phone, and we talked for like an hour and a half, and it was wonderful. And I, I then emailed him and said, would you consider letting me and a cameraman, who I think would be really good, um, would you let us come up and meet with you and talk with you about possibly um, documenting your transition out of pig farming? And he was like, I don't think so. And I said, well, you have no obligation. Just let us let us come and we'll just see what happens. You can just tell us to get lost. And so he finally said yes. And Joe drove four and a half hours from Maine and I drove four and a half hours from Cape Cod. And we sat out and talked and it was just like a, a love fest. It was, we were all three of us kindred spirits mm-hmm. and Monk, I remember I was thinking the other day that Monk was lying on my feet and I thought, <laughs> oh, I love this dog. And, um, and so by the end of it, it was like, yes, let's do it. And, um, but then he got in touch with us. We knew that we had to start shooting right away. And he sent us an email saying, listen, I want you to know I suffer, I suffer from anxiety and depression and, I may become incapacitated during the course of filming and I might not be able to go on. And I need you and Joe to be willing to, I don't want that responsibility of disappointing you. You have to be willing to, to go into this knowing that that could happen. 
And I said yes, that I was willing to take the gamble. And Joe was like, oh, I don't know. And finally he said yes, and we did it. And, and Bob was incredible. It, we, we shot one week a month, every month, so that we could capture the evolving seasons, the changing seasons, and the, you know, the herds of pigs dwindled, you know, got smaller and smaller. And um, it was just an amazing experience. I, I miss... I miss the pigs. I miss the farm. I miss I miss Bob, you know, being with him so frequently. I miss Monk, his dog. It was such a rich, loving, loving experience. It was just Joe and me and Bob and Monk and the pigs. That was it. We didn't have any money to pay anybody else. And so it was, <laughs> and we didn't pay ourselves. So it was just us. And I, I really do believe that um, the intimacy of that experience, even though we had to work twice as hard, um, it made it a very, a very intimate experience. And I think that's reflected in the film in many ways, because the film is extremely delicate and intimate. And, and I've never met a human being who is more authentic yeah. than Bob is. That's... He, will, he will tell you anything. He will share anything. He has no secrets. And he will not... You know, a lot of us, if we're interviewed or if somebody asks us a question, there's a little thing in the back of our mind that wants to answer it in a way that we yeah. think will please the person. Of course. You know, yeah, this is sure. my, maybe what they want to hear. So <laughs> Bob doesn't have that. He He's just, Bob. He yeah. just yeah. is true to Do himself. Think that that's yeah. very evident in in every second of that film. That's mm -hmm. something that we've talked a lot about is, is the... Um, Absolutely. Not just the intimacy and how personal the film feels to the person watching it you really do feel like you're involved and you're invested and uh, but also the transparency and the authenticity that you get from Bob I what I love so much about the documentary is that it's one of the most honest and true documentaries it, it actually documents this man's life that's mm -hmm. it with so little um you don't hear him speak very much you're just watching him live his life and do what he's right. doing and it's just so honest and it's so raw in so many ways and and there's like a message you hope people get from right. it but there's no message necessarily given other than this is this is him this is what happened this is his story this is the pig story take yeah. away what you will from it and it's ugh. Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that was that was the mm -hmm. goal was not to embellish, not to manipulate in any way. And you'll notice yeah. there's very little music because it would it would feel manipulative. The only time we used music really, um, I used it in the first two. I mean, actually, we had a wonderful composer compose music. Um, Giovanni Spinelli composed the pieces for the film. And they were just the pig celebration. That's all it was. It wasn't about Bob. It wasn't anything. It was just like this great, the pigs out in the field. And um, I think it's so important. I felt with this story, yeah, it needed to be just directly. And Bob, he just looked through the camera. There's not one molecule, one cell that's self-conscious in him. He just is totally in his own skin. This is what you get. And I think that's one reason he's so moving is that he's he's willing to he's a very flawed individual. You know, he did not sure, save uh -huh. 250 pigs and he feels horrible about that. But he yeah. didn't. He felt he didn't have the capacity to do that. And there are going to be some people who will be critical of him for being who he is. But that is mm -hmm. 
who he is. And, you know, I'll say one other thing. Sorry, <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's okay. okay. That's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will say one other thing about um, Bob that um, he, I, I rarely will share any footage while I'm filming, filming with the person who's on camera because mm-hmm. they get very self-conscious. But he, he was like a part of the team. And he was so curious. And I, I showed him a little bit of footage just to see what the reaction would be because also I felt like if he wants to see it, he's giving us so much, I should allow him. It did not change his behavior in one way, it, it, not, not in the least. He was fascinated by it, mm-hmm. but he was not affected by it. He was still completely authentic. And I have never had that kind of, um, oh, sort of collaboration, camaraderie with somebody who's in my film. I mean, I felt like he was part of the process in every way. And um, he he fell into a very deep depression uh, shortly after we finished filming. And I wasn't able to contact him for like a year. And I had to finish the film to edit it, edit it without him. And I had always felt like, oh, he'll be part of this process. And it was so sad to me. And so, and I was terrified that I might not have a film here. Um, but he needed to pull back from life and, um, you know, sort of go underground. And so that was really, really difficult. And when I say I missed him, I really, I really did deeply. I felt like He'd become an inspiration and a dear friend. And and so it makes me happy to see him in a good place. And I do care very deeply about him. He's just a true blue friend. And he runs very deep. He's very philosophical. He's very bright. And he has so many wonderful qualities that I feel very, very fortunate to have, have been able to benefit from I, and be inspired personally, by. I think that it's so it's just so beautiful and it's very touching to hear again the transparency in what he Mm -hmm. suffered in terms of suffering from mental illness because Mm -hmm. there is so much stigma stigma surrounding mental illness for somebody who's already Mm -hmm. being so raw in what they are allowing you to film in this documentary to also not only say to you in private before you started filming hey you know I'm, I suffer from these things and it may impact us in this way to not only have that conversation but to also be honest with strangers because he mentioned mm-hmm. that at the talk back and that's something that yeah. I had heard on a tour mm-hmm. of Catskill too that he had suffered some some depression after the entire um, you know the with the pigs when that came to an end and for me as somebody who has also yeah. suffered from anxiety and depression that is that's so inspiring to me that somebody could be that open and honest and that standing in their truth in that way and in a variety of ways that that is yeah it's incredible and to see him being you know living his best life now because that exposing yourself like that like think about how many people even now we walk in and someone's like how are you and we're not okay you shove it down and you Mm -hmm. pretend like you're okay and he's not okay Mm -hmm. but he's open about it he just like opens his chest up it's and he's incredible. like here's what's happening and and like this is it so which probably feeds into yeah. him and it's just i it's i can't he's so wonderful <laughs> yeah well, well, he is when i first started doing screenings and i had a couple of um you know q and a's afterwards and talked afterwards um i was a little afraid that gosh maybe i'm sharing too much about him and so i contacted him and said are you okay um 
if I share that, that you suffer from depression and anxiety? And he said, absolutely. It needs to mm-hmm. come out of the closet. Um, I, he's even considered oh, writing a book about it. He needs to do that. Yeah, do that. Please do it. Oh, I will. I will. Because um, you don't know how many people have come up afterwards, you know, if I do share that at, in the Q&A, and people come up and say that that is so helpful to me to hear that because I suffer from it as well, and it's something that I don't feel comfortable talking about very often. And it so it's is, really it's important. Also, for me, it's, it's inspiring to see somebody who, oh, I mean, I'm sure maybe he doesn't see it this way because... I, it's hard to see it when it's it's coming from yourself. But I, I hear this. I'm like, wow, he's so in control. Oh, of, I know. Yeah. Of this illness. He's so in control of this thing that I also have and don't feel that I can control it at, at all. all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure mm-hmm. that he doesn't feel that way. No, he's in <laughs> yeah. control of until course, he's not. Yeah, but yeah. it's very inspiring to see, okay, here's this person who is so open and honest and, and knows how to handle it. And, and that inspires me to want to be better mm. about the way that I think I handle it. If that makes and sense. And I think it's nice too that you, with you guys, that he yeah. was like, this is what's happening, and that you accepted that yes. because that's a huge part of anxiety and depression as well is being afraid that people won't accept you and won't Absolutely. and won't take into account that you right. might disappear for a week or two weeks or a year, and yes. some people won't understand that. But Absolutely. you, you understood it, and then look where you guys are now. Mm-hmm. So it's really reassuring that way. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Because I think we're all, mm-hmm. as they say, on the spectrum. You know, we're all in in on one part of the continuum, and um, yeah, we have to be. We have to be compassionate about that. It's just like, you know, if you have a stomach problem, you know, sure. you've got colitis or something. How are you doing? Oh, I'm having a bad bout. You know, it should be. Absolutely. Okay to talk about that. And for somebody to say, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? Can I bring over a lasagna? <laughs> you can. Absolutely. Can I, yeah. No, can I make yeah. you dinner? <laughs> it should be that way. Uh, okay, too. more I questions from yeah, you I have guys? Some as well. So should we like, oh. you want to rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, let's rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can no. go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess mine is in regards to I know something Andy wants to know but he won't ask because he doesn't talk on the podcast um but we talked about it because I actually took him and four of my friends to the screening at the honest weight and so I wanted to know Andy's thought afterwards um because he's long while vegetarian and most always vegan at home because vegan household and all of a sudden kind of snapped and now just vegan so it just like happened um, which is really, really cool. Wow. But, you know, I wanted to know his thoughts. And his yeah. his question, his main question, or one of them was something I had, is just shot choices. Um, Kat and I noticed the shots of mm. Monk on, you know, n- focusing on him on the other side of the fence to the pigs. And then in the slaughterhouse, how did you choose what to shoot there? And, like, your, your angles and what to show mm. without mm-hmm. showing anything and the close-ups of things Mm -hmm. and how did you how did you choose that Mm. um i knew early on that i didn't want it to be unwatchably graphic i wanted to be able to um invite a broader audience and uh, to watch it but i did feel at the same time we have to go into the slaughterhouse and for me what's the most horrifying part of the slaughterhouse is the pigs Mm -hmm. that are still alive and you know, they're going to be led onto the kill floor any minute. And that, to me, is mm-hmm. just the horror. 
more horrible than, you know, the cutting up of the carcasses. But um, so Joe and I, the the DP director of photography, Joe Burnett, who did such a beautiful job, he and I discussed at length because we didn't we weren't even able to see what the slaughterhouse looked like ahead of time. And we basically were going to be there for one session. I, I just hate to even, I don't know, put put words to this, but, you know, there were eight pigs and they were going to kill them and cut them into pieces, one after the other. And so, but we talked at length ahead of time and I said if we could, I mean, it would be brilliant if we could have shadows so you could see the images, but they're just the shadows. You're not seeing any, you know, it's it's once removed. Um, but th that didn't exist. Once we got in there, we realized, no, there's nothing casting a shadow. And so it was just like, okay, Joe, hooks, um, this, wristwatch, uh, time, you know, uh, stopwatch. Uh, how about that when that thing comes up? So we were looking for more abstract um, images. And obviously we, at the same time, we um, did cover, you know, more or less every every stage of the butchering or whatever you, I guess you call it butchering, the killing and butchering. Um, but we were always looking for those things of hosing off the boots, hosing the blood down the drain, um, just things that are not blood and guts and, and in your face. Um, as I said, so unwatchable for certain people. And, and so if we missed it, with the first pig, you know, I was I was the second set of eyes that was constantly if Joe, you know, we, I just kept kept a mental note of okay, we missed the stopwatch. Let's get try to get that next time. Okay, let's try to get the clock on the wall. Um, we have to get the USDA stamp being stamped because mm -hmm. that's so important. Um, and so I would constantly and also while Joe was shooting something, I'd be saying, okay, the hook, the hook, just just pan up. You're going to see the hook and. So we worked, it's, it was almost, you know, sort of balletic, that, but it was, it were co-piloting. Um, it's a very intimate um, process, and fortunately we communicate very well, and Joe is very calm, he's very zen, and so he was able to filter the things that I would whisper in his ear and be able to adjust. So, but it was, it was a lot of pressure, and of course, you know, we just, because we had this, you know, limited amount of time to capture something um, that we we would never be able to be there again. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of pressure, but also I think that kind of deadened the horror of it in a way because it just had to focus on we've got to get these shots because you know it's it's a it's a yeah, horrible yeah. horrible that's, thing to witness. It's a terrible place to be. That's what I was curious be. about is how you maintain and, that focus. How do you how do you keep focus on the shots and the you know the the details of all of that while this is going on around you? And then afterwards, how did you not you lose know, your mind and take yeah. care? Like how did you take care of yourself? Yeah. Being that focused, it had to all of a sudden snap mm, and maybe like yeah. hit you. Like this is what I just witnessed. Yeah. How did you how did you function? After? Well, you know, there's another layer that I should mentioned that I haven't even thought about till we're talking about it right now, which is that the slaughterhouse guys, um, they let us come in to film and they don't feel that they're doing anything wrong. They are, they, they work in a so-called humane slaughterhouse. The pigs were not, you know, screaming and, 
they were not being, you know, cut up while they were alive or anything. And they're proud of what they do. But also if I had on the kill floor, if I had been going like, oh, my God, this is horrible. We mm -hmm. would have been out, you know, they would have been they would have said, you know, we can't work right. like this or something. So, you know, I had that filter on. We both had that filter on as well. Um, but I. I imagine that I went back. I'm trying to remember and like cried my eyes out afterwards. I do know that my main catharsis happened when we loaded the very last group of pigs. And it's funny because I say mm -hmm. we, you know, I did not physically load them onto the truck, but I feel like I was sure. somehow part of it. And it was just this blustery, nasty cold day with the snow, you know, flakes were flying and, and there were these last pigs and one was lame and a little uh, not very big. And I thought, man, he survived. He dodged the bullet for so long and now he's going to get it. And it just, I became hysterical, not until I got in my car, because Joe was in the truck that was hauling the trailer. He was in the truck with, with Bob. Actually, he was in the back of the truck with the pigs for most of the ride. And um, I was driving in my car behind the trailer, and I, I'm surprised that I didn't have an accident because I was hyperventilating. I was, I was sobbing. And I mean, just I've, only once before when a loved one committed suicide, did I feel that emotionally, I don't even know how to describe it. it it's like you're upside mm -hmm. down or something. It's like you're floating in Mars. It's like, I, you don't even know what to do with the emotion because it's so horrible. And I, I, um, I felt, I, I felt complicit, you know, I felt like if I'm not stopping this, I'm part of it. And yet the wheels are turning, it's going to happen. And ugh, it's still, you know, and then I had to come back and edit all that footage and look at it day after day after day. And uh, it was, it's really, I got into a very dark place during the edit. And I actually did, uh, not, not the depths of depression that Bob the way he's described it, goes to where he just can't even claw himself out of the well for months and months and months. But um, I did. I, I had a friend who basically said, are you okay? And I said, uh, I, I might not be. And my mom had just mm. died while I was editing it. So it was really um, very difficult. It took me some months and some work with the therapist. And, um, you know, fortunately, we have those tools. but. Yeah. Ugh. yeah, it was. Yeah, ugh. it was bad. You know, it's t it's not. There's nothing nice about that, and there's nothing nice about witnessing it. There's nothing nice about being part of it. And all I can say, you know, the only upside is, is that I've heard people say after the, after a few of the screenings. Actually, I've I've gotten some testimonials that people have said I am not going to eat meat anymore. Some people say I will not eat pork. And some people say, I will not eat meat. So, yeah. you know, if, if the film accomplishes mm -hmm. that, then in some way those pigs will not have died in vain. And I guess they, they were going to be killed anyway. But 
I just, uh, it's a horrible thing yeah. to be part of that. That was one of my questions was, you know, some of the feedback that you've gotten from audiences. I know the the one that we were at, there were some people in the audience who raised their hand that they were going to rethink their food choices. And I was just curious about, um, yes. if, you know, if there have been any responses that have really stuck out to you, if anyone has had any particularly emotional responses to the film. I mean, I know Danny and I did. We were like hysterical for days, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting upset all over again <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> uh. Well, well, reliving my my experience with me. <laughs> but um, gosh, I'm trying to I'm so bad with remembering specific incidences. But um, yes, there absolutely have. Well, I remember after our, I think it was our second screening, we were um, invited to the full frame uh, documentary film festival, which is quite prestigious. And I was so excited. And and we had a great screening. I think it was like 150 people in the screening room. It was absolutely full, people sitting in the aisles. And the response was fantastic. And the next day, this middle-aged couple came up to me and because it's it's an ongoing festival. And so they they saw me, in, you know, getting coffee or something and said, we just want you to know that um, we've decided that we're not going to eat meat anymore. And we we'd thought about it, but the film just made us make the commitment. And I was like, oh, oh wow. yes, this is why this is why we made the film. And then there have been more and more people um, after the screening at the Hudson Valley Community College, which was a fantastic screening in Troy, New York. Um, the woman who organized it, one of the people who organized it, Val, got an email from a man who was in the audience who was a hunter saying that the film has inspired him not to hunt any longer. He's giving up hunting. And that's so fantastic and and such an unexpected um, result of yeah. someone watching the film. But it, it's really cool. So she was very excited and, yeah. and shared it with us. But yeah. Val and Maria, they were fantastic. They organized a great screening. That's really incredible. And I would... Because yeah, it, I just, it, it kind of goes to what we were saying with how you get what you get from it because that, it had nothing to really do with hunting right, but he yeah. took it away as... that guy took it and related it to his life mm -hmm. and the choices that he's making in yeah. his life aside yeah. from his choice whether or not he's eating animals what else he's doing and he applied it and decided to make so... a different decision based off of that so that just kind of goes back to what we were saying that's, very that's cool. so true that's so true yeah so i think it's doing its work and i think what's interesting and i i really feel strongly that you know all of all of us filmmakers, we we all have different styles and different uh, ways of getting our message, message, the messages out there or mm -hmm. the stories out there. Let's let's put it that way, because I don't want it to sound like the message of The Last Pig sure. was premeditated. I just really wanted to bring Bob's story to the world. But um, I think we all reach different members of audiences in different ways because we're all individuals. And so I think... We need diversity in films and, you know, we need Earthlings, we need The Last Pig, we need Forks mm -hmm. Over Knives. I mean, they're all very different films and, you know, a film that really, you know, what the health is going to wake somebody, mm -hmm. somebody up, but The Last Pig is going to wake a different Absolutely. person up. And so together we're, we're sort of covering the playing field, I think, and God knows there's a lot more room <laughs> on the field Absolutely. for more more filmmakers with more ways of telling stories yeah, to come in. I totally agree. Do you have any other questions? I, I, the only other thing I was curious about, it, I don't know why I'm 
so obsessed with this, but <laughs> I, I honestly am. She's an no, obsessive person. That's I, why. I, I just I noticed it when we when we watched the film, and I have talked to Danny about it countless times. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it. Um, she mentioned it really briefly in her question, but something that I noticed in the way that you shot it, and um, I was curious if it was intentional or if it was just happened to work out this way. But there was it did seem that there was always a separation in showing Monk and showing the pigs. There was always a fence in between them. There was always something keeping them apart aside from the one scene where Monk gets involved with the pigs and Bob says something jokingly about how he was jealous. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought that that was just a very interesting choice. And I was curious if it was intentional or if it just happened to work out that way. Well, well, Monk wasn't ever in with the pigs except when he was Mm -hmm. jealous and, you know, went running through the fence and got shocked Mm -hmm. and yelped and was totally freaked out. And and I, I just love that moment where the pigs are looking at him and the fact that he's white and they're black, it's just so yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at him and he's looking at them and they're both scared of each other, but they're both curious. And that, that's, that's the only time. He, he did not have contact, direct contact with the wow. pigs. And it was sort of a love yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was curious about them, but he didn't really like them. And, um, and it, it just kept popping up. I mean, I, I really felt when I started editing the film, I, I really... You know, I'd never made a film with one character. I think very few people have ever made a film with one sole character in it. It's very unusual. You can't cut away to the other person or have a conversation or any of that. And so I started thinking, well, who are the other characters in the film? And of course, there were the pigs collectively, you know, because it really, as, as, as Bob says, it's pigness that he lived with. It's the herds of pigs. And there's Bob, of course. And there's mm-hmm. Monk. And there's, to me, there's also the trailer, which is the ominous, like, here comes the red trailer to take the pigs off to the slaughterhouse. And I think the farm also had a personality. And so Monk was, I realized very early on that he was a really essential character. And and, and to me, you know, this is just, to me, the symbolism is, and it was not intentional, but he's the witness. Oh, wow. He witnesses everything. And... One time we came, you know, we'd be gone for three weeks and then we'd come back. And one time we arrived and Monk sort of had his tail between his legs and he looked really worried. And Bob was wearing a black T-shirt and looked very dour. And I could just see the thought bubble above Monk's head like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you guys are here. It's bad. He's been in a very dark place. Wow. <laughs> and 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 I'd say, you know, after 24 hours, Bob started to thaw out. I think he I think it helped yeah. him to have company. And and we all became very, lo- you know, we we loved each other. And so it was a very warm camaraderie. But um, I really felt that Monk, you know, there were times when I cut to Monk in the edit because it was like he was the witness. Mm-hmm. He'd be looking at at Bob marking the pigs like geez, that's what you're doing. You're marking the pigs for death. And I think he he was a very wise old soul, that dog. And I I think that he did take it all in and kind of know right from wrong. And I don't know. He had a, he was a very, to me, a very sort of highly evolved sort of spiritual Mm -hmm. being in a funny way. I'm, I loved uh, Monk, very special being, soul. My God, now that you said he's the witness to everything, I'm, I'm like replaying Re- the replaying film in it. my head right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it, he is. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Isn't, you know, I really didn't uh, expect for the film to be so, uh, oh, deep is not the right word. Just, you can look at it, multifaceted. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know, it's such a, it's a very, very simple, straightforward story. And yet, it, it's like looking at a, a diamond. You turn it this Honestly. way and it's totally different. And yes. that way it's <laughs> totally different. And this way, it just, you can, I, I've watched it so many times beyond the edit. And I walk away with something different every time. I think the film is just like Bob. It It is like the last peg is the last peg. And what you take away from that is exactly the same as Bob is Bob and what you take away from him. It's just very, it just exists. It is what it is. And that is beautiful. Yeah. 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 I, I, so good. <laughs> I, I know, honestly, we could fangirl over this oh, all night. And yeah. I don't know that I've ever <laughs> been so affected by a film or a documentary oh. as I was The Last Pig. Oh, I know, me neither. perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would say thank you, except that I really, I feel like films in a way are guided and that I was lucky enough to be the person to, I don't know, handle it and deliver it, mm -hmm. if you know what sure. I mean. So it was, uh, it's such an honor to have been, have been able to deliver that baby, you mm -hmm. know, that piglet to the world. Mm -hmm really cool <laughs> oh thank you for uh, thank you for appreciating it no the baby. thank, thank <laughs> you for for delivering it and, yeah absolutely I, my my pleasure. i do have one like final question before we wrap it up i think mm. um something i'm just curious about what's your favorite vegan meal <laughs> we talk oh, a lot you're gonna say what's your favorite color no, that's so much no. easier <laughs> we talk a lot about food yeah we, um, we have a whole little segment of the podcast that's about food and <laughs> i thought maybe okay. if we it's important to know what famous because mm. you're famous to us and you're <laughs> you are a wonderful human being person so we need to know mm. now that might change depending on what you answer <laughs> <laughs> we're very fickle no pressure. yeah we are <laughs> i i am going to say that the one vegan meal that I continuously dream about and lust after that I had once upon a time was made by one of our supporters. Her name is Kimberly Romer. And she donated to our, our Indiegogo campaign. And what she got was, in return, was a weekend on Cape Cod with, oh, wow. with us. Oh. And she got a sneak peek at the edit. And um, she got to have dinner with the filmmakers. In fact, what she did was she cooked the dinner, <laughs> <laughs> and she made some sort of seitan. Uh, it was like piccata, mm. so it was lemony and it was breaded. Oh, and oh, I still, I mean, my my saliva glands are like spritzing right now. <sighs> it was so delicious, and I've never had it anywhere else. She got the recipe from somewhere, and. Oh, it was so elegant. And I think there might have been um, capers yes. also on top. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. it was killer. Oh my gosh, that, that sounds, sounds so good. It was really good. I mean, my, the, the things that I cook every day, you know, it's like rice and beans, yeah, right? rice and quinoa, um, uh, sweet potatoes. It's it's very, very basic, but very healthy. Sure. Oh, I'm on a I'm on a sweet potato kick with juicing them right now though. Oh. Sweet potato Ooh. juice with oh. carrots and like beets. Doing wow. like a root juice is really good. Wow. I'm doing that tomorrow morning. Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying. Mm. Yeah. Gosh. That's mm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. Oh my. And listen, one last thing. I just want to let people know that if they want to organize a screening of the film, we can make it super easy. Just go to our website, which is thelastpig.com, 
and you'll find a tab that says host a screening. And um, especially if you're vegan, uh, this wonderful group called Veg Fund, mm-hmm. uh, a nonprofit, they will underwrite your screening. They'll give you a grant and they'll help you serve some vegan snacks so that people can experience vegan food and underwrite um, the cost of literature. So it's a great thing. If, you, if you'd like to organize a screening in, in your community, we will absolutely help you make it happen. Is there also a way to find your other films? Because I wanted, we were like, let's watch them before Mm. we, and I can't find them. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do we, do you have to know someone like, you know, the filmmaker Mm. Alison Argo? (laughs) Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what you need to do. So, I need to send you some links. The the, um, tragedy of my career up up until now, I mean, the, the, the wonder of it is that my films have been fully funded. That's a lot of F's. (laughs) <laughs> the films have been fully funded, but the uh, National Geographic or PBS, they own all the rights. And so mm. I don't and, and they've sort of taken them off the shelf, even though they're very still very current. Sure. So um, I have this it's on my major to do list someday, some decade is to try mm-hmm. to get the rights back to my films because they're not using them anymore because they're still very pertinent. The oh, yeah, the absolutely. messages and all that. So. Probably more than ever. Yeah, yeah it's really true. So that's on my to-do list. Yeah, <laughs> you need, you definitely need to do yeah. that. And also, we talked about it afterwards because after the um, showing at Hudson Valley, I know someone asked if it was going to be like streaming on Netflix, and you're like, no, it was. But Cat and I'm like, nah, it should. Yeah, like do that yeah. now. <laughs> it's going to be. That's going to. I mean, you know, yeah. understand yeah. the process, yeah. but like, oh my god, yeah. I would watch it so many times. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. It's just so and, good. Yeah, I'm gonna do yeah. it. Oh, you guys are great. Oh, thank well, you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just wanna, I wanna say lastly, I hope that you get and Bob too an opportunity to come back out this way because mm-hmm. it would be really great to, um, to have you guys come to Catskill, and I'm sure you'd love to see Niblet, and that would just be a really cool experience. It would Dying too. Well, listen, yeah. I, I have yeah. to tell you that we need to organize a screening at the sanctuary. I'm on it. I'll and it almost, it almost, you know, <laughs> took place. And then I don't know whether they had a change of staff or something, but um, let's make that, let's make that happen because let's do it. It needs to happen. I, I, I feel pretty confident that there are some Catskill employees listening to okay. this episode. So, <laughs> so, uh, so we'll, we'll, make that happen. we'll see what we can do to make well, that in happen. In that case, I'm sure. just going to drop, drop a name here. Kathy Stevens. Oh, oh drop it. She <laughs> is fat, yeah. fantastic. And yes. we just need to get the last pig to the sanctuary. So oh, that so Niblin and Ami can, I mean, sorry, Mario and uh, Audrey can watch it as well. Absolutely. And um, I mean, that would be a great opportunity because then people can actually Yeah, what a them. profound yeah. experience. Maybe, maybe oh Audrey will nibble on your toes. She'll I, try. Like um, I said, after we watched it, I was like, I need to go there right now. Oh. <laughs> I need to go and snuggle those pigs yes. right now. I felt an immediate pull. So I yeah. think that would be very powerful. And there's um, some amazing food. Oh. The commissary Ooh. new pulse is oh, where we yes. go for mac and cheese. Yes. Ooh. So okay, good. sign me up. All right. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> oh. Wonderful. Thank well, thank you, you so much for talking to us. This, this was awesome. Great. And just, again, you made me, like, I had chills Same. and, like, a little tear Oh, yeah. that action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just you're just such a warm person. And Aww. thank you so much for yeah, everything. Yeah, thank you for doing this. And 
and just for making the film honestly I know like I said it really truly affected both of us Mm -hmm. I think in a very permanent way well that warms my heart and I I thank you for that and keep on doing what you're doing because it's so important okay I'm giving you a virtual hug Oh, yeah. Virtual hug. We're, we're actually moving our arms. I am too. I am too. Oh, God. Mm, there's a couple of kisses too. Okay, you guys. All right. Okay, bye. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Bye. And that was it. I don't have a really good, witty commentary. Well, I do, but it's just not as much fun sitting and talking into a microphone by yourself. It's basically just a monologue. No, literally it is actually. That's the definition of a monologue, but it's fine. I hope that you guys loved the interview um, as much as we loved doing it. Allison is a wonderful human being, and we cannot speak highly enough of her or talk about her enough and how obsessed we are, which is less creepy now that we've actually talked to her. We're not just talking about her being obsessed. I mean, we are, but we know her and she knows it. So I guess it's less weird. Yeah. Um, but that's all she wrote for now. So if you missed any episodes, go to the vspot.fm and catch up on anything you may have missed or re-listen to your favorites. There's a couple of favorites I know we have. So if you can't get enough of us and you want more, just re-listen. Catch new things. Go back. Catch mistakes we've made little fuck-ups that have happened and email us about them at the vspot podcast at gmail.com and let us know what we did wrong or just say hi which is preferable um rate review and subscribe on itunes or whatever awesome we've been getting emails um like email reviews actually it's very interesting i'm not sure what outlet they are coming from so i think you can yeah it's um listener feedback so It's been really awesome, but keep doing that. Talk to us. Tell us how much you love us because our egos aren't big enough yet. And there's no one here to... Kat would laugh at that. She would agree. Um, And Andy can't argue with me. So that's awesome. And then when you have had your fill of us or when you need a break in between us, go to um, soundbite.fm and check out all the other fabulous podcasts on the Soundbite Network. And until next time. Oh, this is. Ah, we fucked it up just as much as Cat and I normally do. It's a ghost cat. Yeah.